What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the Hyperfast Wealth Show, I sat down with a real estate investor from St. Louis, Missouri. He's been doing it for nearly two decades, but he has lived almost two different real estate investing lives. He had a, a way he did it for the first decade and the way he's done it since. He has become a master of the Burr strategy that is buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat as well as a master of using leverage in all aspects of real estate investing. Welcome to the show, David Dodge. Right, welcome to the show today, David. How are you doing? Hey, Dan, I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the Hyperfast Wealth Show today, uh, especially because you're a guy that can, you know, a lot of times we bring people on and they own 100 doors, 200 doors, 1,000, they're doing syndicates and people get intimidated. They're like, well, I don't have any money, right? Well, you've you've proven and, and, and helped others that, you know, do the same, that, that you can go out with little or no money, get started, and even scale that, right? So why don't you give folks a little bit about uh, your background and how how you got started and where and where you are today? Hey, I, I'd love to, Dan. Thank you, man. And, and you're absolutely right. There's lots of people out there that you know have multiple hundreds, multiple thousands of doors, even, right? And you you know you can't compare yourself to these other individuals. What you need to do is just focus on you know what is going to make sense for you. And for me, it was the Burr method. So a little bit of background. I've been investing in real estate for about 17, 18 years at this point. First 10 years, Dan, was super passive. I had jobs and uh, was, you know, basically had a couple different startup businesses with friends and did a bunch of random things for the first, you know, 10 years of my real estate investing career, basically all through my 20s. However, each year I was buying one rental a year. And I was basically going and finding a $150,000 property, give or take getting an 80% loan on it, you know, using an agent, buying it off the MLS, and then having to come up with 20% either borrowed or savings to acquire that. And I did, I did that for 10 years and I acquired 12 houses, right? Not terrible. Uh, but about seven, eight years ago, I went full time and I realized that you can market to motivated sellers. And then from there, you could get great opportunities to wholesale and done you know several hundred wholesales i think my partner and i've done close to 700 wholesales at this point and we started buying rentals and we started fixing rentals up and getting them rented and selling them off turnkey we do a little bit of fix and flip uh, but the burr method is the absolute best thing that i love to do it's the best strategy it's the best um, activity because what it essentially does is it allows you to acquire assets single family homes can even do this with apartments. We have a 24 unit apartment that we're working on right now using the Burr method. And it allows you to acquire the asset using very little of your money and in often cases, none of your own money in the end, right? So we're borrowing And you've money. done this, just so people know, you're in St. Louis market. Have I'm you always been Louis, doing Missouri. there? Yep, I do it locally in my market and within about a hundred miles, of course, I do some projects here and there. I've done it over 200 times. Wow. 
Yeah, I, I do it a lot. And again, the, some people will often ask, well, if you've done this 200 times, how come you don't have 200 rentals? Well, we sell them off turnkey as well, too. And we also do what's called portfolio rebalancing. We'll, we'll get rid of the dogs and we'll buy nicer ones in nicer areas and so on and so forth. So as of right now, we have about 90 doors. Uh, 60 of those are of single family homes. And uh, we were up to about 90, 90 single family homes. We sold a bunch off when the market gets great. And, you know, again, we're, we just love using this strategy. And what kind of cash flow do you, you average per you door? Know, on a 20 year, we're typically shooting for 300 to 350. On okay. a 30 year, we can get it up to over 500 and sometimes even 600, right? So it depends on the type of loan that you're using, of course. But Dan, here's the thing. The best thing about this is you can use leverage in every aspect of the process, right? So let's just talk simple, single family home. Doesn't have to be anything crazy, right? So, you know, we can go out and we can find a home that we can buy at a discounted rate, either direct from a seller or from a wholesaler um, or from one of our own marketing efforts, of course. And let's say we can get this at a discounted rate and we can get it for, you know, 80,000 and then we can maybe put 20 into it and make it look really good for a rental and an appraisal, like, you know, for the tenant to get high rent, but also get a good appraisal on that property. Well, if that property appraises for, you know, 130 or 140,000 and the bank's going to lend 80%, I'm going to be able to pay back that private or hard money lender that I borrow in the first place to buy it and fix it up. So we're borrowing 100% of the money to buy and fix the deals, right? That's the buy and that's the rehab part of it. And do you, do you have to get it at a really good price to be able to do so that? Because yes it, sound, it sounded like at first you were almost like a tale of, you know, two different kind of lives. You had this uh, real estate career where at first you, you, you were doing it as a side hustle, working jobs, saving money. And, and I was leaving and, lots in. Yeah. And you were you were buying it, you know, I heard you say on the MLS or off the MLS. And then you kind of had this second phase of the career where it sounded like you, you got away from buying them maybe on the MLS or, or maybe you did that, well, so still do that, it, but, but less, that's right? beautiful thing. So yeah. in the beginning, I was paying 100% of retail, right? I was paying, I was paying you know, what, the, what all the comps were showing the properties were worth and that's what it basically appraised for, right? And what I learned when I went full time is, is that you don't have to pay full retail, right? Yeah, you can find deals on the MLS. It's just going to be much harder, right? Like my partner and I last year bought 162 properties and we maybe got three or four off the MLS, right? So hmm. the majority of the properties that we're buying are going to be direct to the seller or direct to other wholesaler, right? There's not typically going to be an agent involved. Now, sometimes there is and it's not on market. But, you know, typically it's going to be direct to seller. So, yes, we're looking for discounted properties and we're looking for properties that need work. This strategy can work, but it's more difficult when you're not doing rehab. Like you can skip that process completely, but there's two ways to, 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 to do a successful burr and leave zero money in it. Right. And if you use both of these ways simultaneously, it gets pretty easy. If you're just relying on one or the other, it's not going to be as easy. So the two simple ways, Dan. Or buy or one is buy it at a discount and then number two is fix it up to increase the value mm -hmm. right very simple so if you're already buying at a 20% discount boom you, you're there you nailed it if you get even better 
then even even better, right? And then when you rehab a property, let's say we put you know twenty thousand in. That's essentially about the average amount of rehab that we're putting in or looking for. Well, we're essentially hoping or or you know predicting. Let's say it's a better word, predicting that we're going to increase the value of that property by at least thirty thousand. So for every every dollar wow. or two dollars we spend, we're going to have another dollar worth of equity. So the so the the combination of buying something at eighty percent or less and putting in 20 grand to increase the value by 30, what we are doing is we are building in a lot of equity. Then what we do is we go to the bank and we're not asking for a loan. Okay, so here's the thing. When you go to a bank and you wanna get a loan, they will lend you 80% or 70 or 75%, depending on the area and, and, and you and all of your things, right? But they're still gonna require you to put down 20 or 30%. But whenever you go to the bank and you say, hey, I'm not asking you to create new risk. I'm asking you to transfer risk, AKA, I need to refinance this existing loan. Well, all the underwriting gets quicker and easier and simpler. And they will say, okay, great. We will lend 70 or 80% of what it appraises for. We're gonna send our third party appraiser out and we'll let you know when we get that appraisal back. Well, now if that property appraises you know, at let's say 130 and I'm all into it at 100 or, you know, 105 or whatever it is, but I'm below 80%, they will transfer that risk. They will pay off my private lenders and I'm not required to have 20 or $30,000 left <clears throat> in the deal like Dave did for the first 10 years of his investing right. career. Skip that process. You don't need 300 grand to go buy 10 assets, right? You can use the strategy to use other people's money. So by creating that that initial debt, by borrowing from a private or hard money lender to buy it and fix it up is very key. Because then when I go to the bank later, I'm not asking for a new loan. I'm asking for a refinance of an and existing what? loan. So they're piggybacking off of that private lender or hard money lenders due diligence, which is if it, that's your Aunt Sue, that might've been one email, right? What, what percentage of the acquisition and rehab costs will the private lenders usually give you are they funding all of it or do you have to put some yeah money in? so i mean here's the thing we work with multiple private lenders multiple hard money lenders and you know that business is all about relationships it's all about experience you know like you're going to get better terms over time so a lot of our private lenders is anywhere from 10 to 12 percent and then if we need to use a hard money lender for a bigger deal, like so maybe we're doing something that we you know, need to borrow 800 grand or you know, over a million, we'll just go to a hard money lender because it'll be easier, they have more capital. And then we're typically paying you know, 13 to 15%. But that's okay because we're not borrowing money for five years at that rate. We're borrowing it for five weeks or five months. So you know, it's really not a big deal. I have no problem. Here's what I always tell all my students, Dan. I have no problem paying 15% interest for three months right. that ends up being five grand and I can make 30 right like who cares but a lot of people they get hung up I'm not paying that crazy rate and they're leaving 30 grand on the table you know mm -hmm. so I love the Burr method because it creates assets which are money-making you know items you put money in your pocket every month we can do it with little to no money so like I just explained if we can be all in at let's say 80% or less and that's what the bank's going to lend. And that, that's all in, all in, like purchase, rehab, closing costs, and the interest to the lender. 
Like if you get if you buy a great deal and you fix it up, you can be all in at 70 or 75 percent very often and the bank will lend 80. So there's oftentimes too, Dan, where we'll walk with a couple grand. Now, again, you got to get really good deals and right. you got to know your numbers, of course. But how cool is that? Walk well, how how are you getting uh, good deals in today's to market? Marketing. Because sellers right now, they know the market's hot. They know there's little inventory and they know they can just put it on the MLS and get like 100 buyers to show up. So yeah, how are you finding how are you finding deals in the market today? The, one of the lowest inventory markets we've ever seen. Absolutely. So here's the thing. We're not afraid of going in and spending 25 or even 30, in some cases 40,000, you know, on a property that would make for a good rental. So in today's market, the best way for us to find deals or to find properties that are really in distress, right? They really need a lot of work. Can they list those properties? Yes, but oftentimes we're buying properties from people that don't want their photos of that property online or you know, it's just not worth all the hassle of dealing with the agencies and the showings where we can just really make it easy, right? Also, because we're not necessarily wholesaling these properties, we can piggyback on all the other investors and wholesalers in our market. You know, if somebody does a bunch of marketing and they go get a deal at 70% and they mark it up and they make 10 grand off of me, but I get it at 80%, it's a win-win. Right. Win. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to go corner your market on direct-to-seller marketing. Instead, maybe just meet the movers and the shakers. Go to the RIAs. Find out who's doing a ton of wholesales and get on their list. By all means, do your own marketing. But, you know, I would say about a third of the deals that we're buying uh, at this point are just coming from the efforts of other wholesalers. And I love paying them big assignment fees. As long as there's meat on the bone for me, it's a win-win. Love it. Uh, another question on your process. A lot of times buyers or investors will wonder, like, where where should I you know, improve the house? Right. Where should I spend dollars on the work? What's going to make sense? Because it is, you know, I heard you say you spend twenty thousand dollars. Value goes up 30 grand. There's probably some people that spend money on houses and, you know, the value goes up less than they spent. So how do you make sure or how do you know that the, the dollars you're putting in are going to give you $1.5 coming out? Yeah, and they don't always. That's what we hope for. And that's what we expect for. But even if it's one to one, that's OK if we bought it at a good a good discount. Right. right. It really depends on where you bought it at. You know, that's a really, really good point. Um, here's what we do. We don't like to have to have seven HVACs go out on us at one time. <laughs> so we like to do a lot of the CapEx in the beginning. And there's another advantage here, too. You know, if I can borrow all of that in the beginning and refinance it out, it's paid for. Whereas if I don't and I cut some corners and I skimp on it and then I get a bank loan and then I have an HVAC go out, I have to now come out of pocket to cover that or right. to use cash flow from existing assets. Right. So. Personally, I like to do as much of, of the property as I can, but I also don't want to go in and spend 50 grand on a rental per se. That's just a lot of work whenever you can find them that you know need a little less. Uh, but to answer your question, the big items are the easiest ones because they are typically just a phone call away. So what do I mean by that? Well, like roof, windows, HVAC, and flooring, those things go a very, very long way, right? So we're typically looking at those items first. 
then if it needs all four of those items roof windows hvac and flooring then we'll make four phone calls to our general contractors and and have those items done from there we'll then determine what the property is and that's going to be unique to each property in terms of does it need a new kitchen does it need a new bath does it need new light fixtures does it need landscaping but we always start with those four items and another thing is is in order for a bank to do a refinance with you um, and lend dan on the appraisal which is how you can do this with you know no money in the end right if if you have that gap that equity gap and they're lending on the appraisal you don't have to have that skin in the game but a lot of banks that will lend on the appraisal on the refi they're going to want to see that you've done some updates to that property right and some banks will have a minimum minimum criteria of maybe 15 or 20 grand right so also when you go in and you do roof windows hvac and floor you can easily spend 12 15 000, sometimes 20 on just those items so you've met the threshold and then let's say it doesn't need a kitchen and a bath or anything extra crazy. Well, now we have a great rental with all of the CapEx done for hopefully the next seven to 10 years. And we'll just have to cover the cost of turns and then standard maintenance. So that's kind of how we do it for the most part. No, I love it. We've, we've talked a lot about leverage in terms of leveraging other people's money, you know, the private uh, lenders, hard money lenders, then the traditional banks. What about, because I heard you mention this earlier, what about leveraging the other areas? How do you leverage finding the deal and how do you leverage managing? Okay, so excellent question, Dan. Excellent question. So I mentioned that we buy about a third of our deals from wholesalers. So we're leveraging other people in our markets, marketing to help find those deals. Love it. That's a great question. I leverage virtual assistants to do most of my marketing for me. Also my follow-up. So more leverage. Once we get the property under contract, um, we're leveraging the hard and private money lenders to buy it and give us even more money, right? Borrow even more to cover the cost of the rehab. Then when it comes to the rehab, I don't swing a hammer. I did for about six or seven months in the beginning and realized this is not what I want to <laughs> do. So I leverage general contractors. I mean, you, you look like a strong guy. You look like you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, I like to spend my time at the park or on okay. the mountain snowboarding or at the beach or whatever, right? So so I leverage general contractors and tradesmen to do the rehabs. And then I have a property manager, three of them in fact, that help me leverage the inspections as well as the leasing and the rent collection and the turns and the evictions and the um, whatever else is needed with the tenants, right? I don't talk to tenants. And then we leverage the banks and the credit unions on the back to do the refinances. And the one we just did today, we, we left six grand in. So not all of them are zero out of pocket. I want to be very clear about that, right? But look at what I did in the first 10 years where I was leaving 30 grand to buy a rental in the ta on the table. I was basically bringing it to the table. And, you know, at this point, we're averaging about maybe a thousand. $1,200 out of pocket in the end. Sometimes we'll mm. walk with five grand or 10 grand, right? But on average, you know, we'll leave about $1,000 in a cash flowing asset. But if that asset's bringing in three to $500 a month, you got your money back in just a couple months. Somebody what, else is paying What the made you have this realization to where you're like, crap, I've been for a decade buying, you know, working my butt off, buying, buying uh, you know, with my own money. Uh, what made you quit your job and decide to go 
you know, figure out how to buy these with, with very little money in the deals on average. So, you know, that's a great question. I think, I think it's a multi, multi, there's two answers. One is, is I didn't like the fact that it was, it's very difficult to earn, to earn a, a good, a good, a good wage doing something that you enjoy doing. Typically, you're going to have to go get a job and you're going to be following somebody else's goal and mission, right? And number two, uh, I learned this at a young age that you're only taxed on income, not on wealth creation. Mm. So if your goal is just to take your income from, you know, 100 grand to 300 grand, that's great. But you just gave Uncle Sam a 50% raise, you know? But if I can go out and I can create 300 grand or 400 grand or 500 grand worth of wealth and equity, I don't pay a dollar in taxes on that wealth that I've just created. Also, I can borrow against that money. So whenever I do a, a refinance on a property and I put 20 or 30 grand in my pocket, that's not income, that's debt. So I realized that the tax laws written by rich people to protect rich people, and you don't have to be rich to play the game, but you gotta understand the game if you wanna be rich. It's a little, it's a little backwards. So Dan, I mean, honestly, I just thought, you know, I think it would be way easier to try to create three to 500 grand a year worth of wealth than three to 500 grand a year worth of income. Mm -hmm. And that's what do you, what do you do uh, when you get those big refis and get cash in the pocket? Are you just putting it back into other real estate or? Yeah. You know, sometimes a little little bit of it will end up in my pocket. And then other times we'll find another deal to put it into, or, you know, here's the thing. We're not perfect. Sometimes we will overestimate the ARV. And sometimes we will underestimate the cost of repairs. It happens to everyone, right? right. Sometimes we'll have to Especially catch now, up on like Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll know, have supply, to catch so up on a project. If you get Other a bid if you get a bid this month, it's 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 not really good in two or three months from, yeah, from the contract. Isn't that wild how it's going up like, yeah. like every month right now. It's it's really crazy. But yeah, sometimes we'll have to put it back in. Other times we'll fund some more direct marketing. You know, other times we will test new marketing. You know, so we, we love doing all different types of stuff. We wholesale a ton. We love buying rentals and using the Burr method. Essentially, at this point, you know, we have created about 20 grand a month worth of passive income, my partner Mike and I. And we're only, we're only growing. We're not, we're, we, you know, we're both in our late 30s and we enjoy the business. Um, he stays home two days a week and so do I. So, I mean, we, we definitely have created the financial freedom. And at this point, we're working on double in it so we can so we can truly have time freedom you know the goal for most people is financial freedom but once you get to financial freedom dan you'll, you'll realize that you know the most important thing in life is the ability to control your time yeah not having a big number in this you need in this, you need both digital account <laughs> online right right like the money matters to be able to have it but time is the goal and that's what we're doing we're focusing on creating i mean we want to have a hundred thousand a month in passive income you know, and the rentals alone bring in 20 and we, you know, have another couple different ways of bringing passive income in that, that generate another 15 to 20. So, I mean, we're almost halfway to the goal. So yeah, man, Burr is the best strategy by far, in my opinion. Though. <laughs> no, I, I love it. I love that you can start with, you know, not that much money. I've, I've done Burr, I've done flips. I do, I do, I do some bigger development deals and, you know, it seems like the, the videos of some of my investment properties that do really well, like on TikTok, you get a lot of these and Instagram reels, a lot of people complaining like, oh, well, it's easy to make money if you if you have money or, or, or you need a lot of money to, you know, to, to go out and do a, a big deal. And the, 
the truth is you really don't. There's so many different ways to, to you know, leverage, like you said, other people's money. And, and I think people just need to learn about it. So it's, it's cool that you're now teaching people how to Thank do this, you. correct? Yeah, it's fun. I enjoy it. I mean, again, the goal is to create financial freedom and time freedom. And real estate's just the vehicle that will help us get there. You know, some people will choose other things like stocks or crypto or day trading or gambling, you know, whatever it might be. I like real estate because it's such a fixed asset. It's such a, a physical thing. I can go and see it and touch it and people need a place to live. That's not gonna change. You know, weather, insects, bugs, animals are gonna get you if you don't have right walls around you. so to me it's you can't it's you can't live in an nft <laughs> yeah yeah and no, i'm not saying nothing negative about these other things but you know to me it's just something that's not going to change now here's another cool thing inflation is no is never a fun thing but if inflation continues the debt that we take on today gets easier and easier to pay over time because that debt is fixed it's not adjusting with inflation so if over a 10-year period the cost of a soda goes from one dollar to two my loan's still 127,000. <laughs> mm. so it gets easier to pay over time right and then of course passive income each of these properties spits off income uh, that income is taxed less than the earned income tell me how that's fair it's not because again laws are written by rich people to protect rich people so if you can make your money passively versus by earning it and by trading time for it, you'll pay less in taxes on it. The assets themselves are depreciatable, which for the layman's term, it just means that you can actually create a phantom expense every year for owning it. So you can offset your income, paying less taxes by using this depreciation. It's just a, a, a law that was created to incentivize any landlord in the US of A to provide housing to his fellow American. And they know that by doing so that they're gonna tear that property up a little bit so they wanna incentivize you. Well, when you have one property, it may not seem like a lot, but when you have 70 or 80 or 100 of them, or even 20, even 10, right? It doesn't have to be crazy, but that two or $3,000 phantom expense of depreciation starts to add up, right? And then last but not least, but I already mentioned it, my favorite, my personal favorite is, is you don't pay taxes on wealth when you create wealth. You only pay taxes on income. So that's really the goal. It's to create my, it's to increase the amount of wealth that I have, not my income. Income comes with, with it, right? But if you focus on creating wealth and you're not paying taxes on it, and you can borrow against it and create more wealth, I mean, it's a snowball effect. Pretty I wild. love it, David. Uh, love your story too, and kind of how you had almost like two lives in, in real estate and the and, and just the difference and how much faster you were able to accelerate when you started adding in the magic of leverage. Before we wrap up, I always like to end with a hyper fast round. Are you ready for some yeah. rapid fire questions here? Let's go. All right. What's your biggest piece of advice to a new real estate investor? Don't keep your business a secret. Mm. What's the biggest mistake you see experienced real estate investors making? overestimating the ARV and underestimating their repairs. If you had to start over and all you could bring with you was your knowledge and your experience, you couldn't bring your connections or your wealth or any of that, uh, what would you do? I would make a, 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 a post on Facebook 
saying I buy houses for cash because now I own it. I'm not just thinking about this anymore. I own it. And then I would find the local RIA meetings and get to every one of them. Love it. Uh, what's one thing you invest in outside of real estate, if any? Uh, I do a little gamble in with crypto, and I don't even like to use the word invest with it because <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but it's just more of a hobby. I mean, it's definitely not like anything I use to try to make make money with, per se, to live on. It's just kind of a fun thing. But, yeah, mostly real estate just because of all the benefits. All right, last one. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Uh, probably somewhere between 500 and 1,000 doors with about a quarter million a month in income. All right. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, David. I know you've got a couple different ways to mentor and teach people. If, if people are interested in that or they just want to connect with you, how do they do it? Absolutely, Dan. Thanks again for having me on the show, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so passionate about this. Uh, hit me up on Instagram, David Allen Dodge, A-L-A-N-D-O-D-G-E. So David Allen Dodge, or if you guys want more interested about the Burr Method and the coaching program, we have an amazing community and you can go over to wholesalinginc.com forward slash rentals and learn all about it. Dan, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you, David. I love your story. Love the techniques and the strategies that you were able to teach our listeners today to all of the viewers and listeners out there. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Please leave us feedback on the show. Share it with people that you think could benefit, and we'll see you next time. Agent.com to learn about upcoming in-person and online events. And don't forget to share this show with someone that you think could benefit from hearing it. And make sure you subscribe on YouTube or anywhere that you can find podcasts.